Your Locked On Maple Leafs. Your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs Podcast. One stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiCefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's Brother from TSN's Overdrive, also the new host of Locked On uh, of Leafs Lunch from TSN 1050. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. Uh, today's going to be a little bit of a different episode. We have had a game in a couple of days, and we also don't play tonight either, but uh, the Maple Leafs do play tomorrow night. It's a home game against the San Jose Sharks, so uh, we'll chat a little bit about that later on, but for today's show, I want to, since we've had a few days here, to kind of digest the first four games, like four games in six nights. It was kind of wild. There was a lot of ups and downs. Team got goalied a couple times, and there's been a lot of like vitriol thrown towards some players. Now that we've had a few days to kind of relax and look back on it, I think we can all say that they've actually played better than their record indicates. They realistically could be a 4-0 team. Um, Certainly should be a 3-1 team. Uh, That that loss to uh, the Rangers was insane. But at the end of the day, the Toronto Maple Leafs have been playing well. So I want to go over some of the reactions that we've had early on in the season and talk about whether or not this is an overreaction or if this is a proper reaction. Uh, so we'll play that uh, for the first segment. And then later on, uh, the Leafs had their Halloween party the other night. So we'll go through some of the costumes that I felt were some of the best ones. Um, and then talk a little bit about uh, talk a little bit about that. And uh, fan attendance down around the NHL. Leafs yet to sell out a game. We'll chat about why that might be. Um, a little bit later, but let's get into this overreaction, proper reaction. So, um, I think the biggest one so far, my biggest takeaway from what the fan base is thinking right now or has been saying over the last couple of days is like Mitch Marner has been awful. That is what I keep hearing. That is what I keep reading. I wouldn't say Mitch Marner has been spectacular, but I think that Mitch Marner has played pretty well. He's he's been he's been good. He's doing a lot of the right things. So I think we should really stop on that Marner hate and saying that he's been brutal. Um, is he worth eleven million bucks? Maybe not. But honestly, sometimes we need to forget exactly what these guys are making. Because is he worth eleven? What he's doing? Maybe not. Is he worth ten? Nine and a half? Yeah, probably that. So what's another million bucks? Like at the end of the day. But I, I think we should stop the Marner hate because it's it's clouding our judgment of how well he actually is playing, the good things that he's doing. I mean, right now, it, it seems like people are just kind of staring at the score sheet uh, as opposed to actually legitimately watching the game and making their own um, their own opinions based on what they're seeing out there because he's actually played well. I actually have a clip here. Which one do I want to play first? Uh, I'll play the the clip from Sheldon Keefe first, actually. And this is Sheldon Keefe speaking, uh, I believe this was two days ago, the day after the game. And this was him having a discussion. He was asked about his thoughts on uh, Mitch Marner's struggles. And essentially he said, I have no thoughts on that because I don't think he's struggling. He's doing some really good things. Uh, So here's exactly, if I could get this opened up for you all, here is exactly what Sheldon Keefe was saying. Um, 
here to the media the uh, the other day. Of course, there's a lot of attention on production and things of that nature. He's one of the top scorers in the entire league last season, and he consistently has been. But he also does a lot of really good things for us without the puck. So I think I'm not worried about the offensive side. It is going to come, and he's going to break out. He is going to break out. Like he's he's he was a first team All Pro last year, first team All Star, right winger. He was voted the best right winger in the sport of hockey one year ago. How often we forget. A lot of our judgment is being clouded based on his playoff performance. And it's interesting. I posed this question on uh, on Leafs Lunch to uh, to Jeff O'Neill, the O-Dog. And I asked him, I said, does, does Mitch Marner like embody the Maple Leafs where he could do whatever he wants through the regular season, but until he proves it in the playoffs, ain't nobody going to care what happens in the regular season. And, you know, it really got me thinking, and it almost seems like that is true. Um, And they don't care what exactly he's doing on the ice. I mean, he hasn't been on the ice for a goal against that 5-on-5 this year, despite having 14 defensive zone starts. And he's played up against some tough, tough opponents. Like in against Ottawa, he was against Stutzla and, and all those guys. He was against Panarin and the, and the Zibanejad line in that game against the New York Rangers. Like he's had some tough opponents that that line has had to line match up against at times. And he hasn't surrendered a goal at five on five. Um, and, you know, so those are some of the, the good things that Sheldon Keefe is talking about that he's doing away from the puck and why he's not so worried about that. But here is NHL Network uh, and Sport Logic um, analytics guru Mike Kelly and his thoughts. I had him on Leafs Lunch yesterday, and this is what he had to say on Mitch Marner's game. And he sees things a little bit differently, obviously, big-time analytics guy. So he's talking about all the things that he's doing that should be generating goals uh, that, that based on these analytics but just aren't quite happening for him. The puck's just not bouncing the right way. But he does stick up for him, and basically he thinks Marner's playing phenomenally. Uh, I'll let him go through his thoughts here. Okay, what leads to scoring goals? Well, you get shots from the slot area where 75% of goals are scored and the net front inner slot area where half the goals are scored. Well, he's 12th and he's 6th in the league in both of those. Mm. Is he getting those rebound chances? Is he getting into the dirty areas? Well, he's 7th in the league in those. You add it all up, expected goals. This is process-driven based on shot quality, shot data. Should Marner be scoring? He's 4th in the league. He should have 2 or 3 goals already based on the quality he's generating. So... He's going to the right spots on the ice. He also is like top 10 in um, passing into the slot. So he's also generating opportunities for guys like Tavares, guys uh, like like uh, Nick Ritchie, who's had a couple of chances, not as much as you would as you would wish. We'll talk about that in a moment. But also Austin Matthews in that game the other night where he got off 16 shots on on, on target. They, sorry, 16 shot attempts eight of which were on target, but a lot of those come from the slot. Like, this team has getting a lot of opportunities, and Mitch Marner is one of those guys who is doing what it takes to score and to have offense, just not getting the breaks, just not getting the puck luck. And sometimes this sport is often uh, a game of randomness, and eventually uh, everything evens out in the end, and things will start to drop for him. And he'll go on a big tear. And we'll all kind of forget about this four-game blip that he's currently on. I mean, I did see a stat that this is the first time since 2019 that he's gone three straight without a point. Um, 
And he's getting you know a little testy with the media, and, and the media is all on his ass about all this stuff, which I understand. Uh, but for me, I, I take a look and I see what Marner's been doing, uh, and he's been doing the little things right and just it's not working on the score sheet, but he's doing good things out on the ice. So I think the, the Marner slander can probably be tucked away for a little bit because uh, he's actually not playing nearly as poorly, and it's a massive overreaction you know, when you compare the, the type of criticism that he's been given online. Uh, we'll, take a, we'll take a break here. When we get back, we'll, we'll go to my next overreaction or proper reaction, uh, and we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, you are listening to the Locked on Lease podcast. We're back and better than ever. All eyes on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. And they're getting back onto the ice for some hockey. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football you can head to the website or use your promo device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus that's double your initial investment just for signing up don't forget to use the promo code NFL 100 from football basketball boxing hockey right to your favorite Vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports bet online your online sportsbook experts welcome back to locked on lease Mike DiStefano here the host of this program um just a reminder we are a daily show and I will be providing daily Maple Leafs podcasts for y'all. So make sure that you are subscribed and make sure that we are your first listen of the day. Any Maple Leafs content, uh, we have it and we will chat about it. So make sure that you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast from so that we can uh, so that we can help fill your needs in that regard. Uh, the, the next big talking point of the week, I feel, has been Nick Ritchie and whether or not Keith should take Richie off of the top line already. I think that's actually a proper reaction. I think he should come off that top line. Um, I, I don't think he's played particularly well. I also, I mean, I wasn't a, a fan of the fit when it first was reported that it was going to be Nick Richie on the top line. I mean, you can go back to my episodes where I was doing these uh, lineup projections, and I think my very first one, I had Bunting on the top line, and I had Richie on line two. I'm not even so sure I want that, but I certainly don't want him on the first line. What made, uh, and I think what a lot of people are mistaken sometimes, and I, I, can, I don't know if I can really even get away with saying something like this, but to me, the reason why Hyman fits so well with those guys, yeah, he was a, a pest in front of the net, had a net front presence. Yeah, he went into the corners, and he fought for pucks, and he forced turnovers and kept offensive drives alive. But something that he also did, which is something that I, I think was key for that team, for that line, is he was hard on the forecheck. And the only way to be hard on the forecheck and to cause turnovers and to maintain offensive puck possession, you got to have speed to get deep into the zone when they chip it in. Like when Marner chips that puck in, Hyman was first man on the puck. You know, he was off in there meeting with the defenseman and they were fighting for that puck. Nick Ritchie can't do that. 
Nick Ritchie doesn't have the foot speed in order to be in a, a foot race with a defender to get to the puck first to try and establish possession in the offensive zone. And because of that, I just I, I haven't seen this really work. And I, I don't think he's going to be taken off the top line um, tomorrow when they play the Sharks. Maybe even, I mean, yeah, it could happen as early as Saturday. But tomorrow, it looks like I, I did see the practice lines. He's still with them, which makes sense. It's really only been one game with uh, Nick Ritchie along with Matthews and Marner. I think Keith still wants him to try and find his footing uh, now that Austin is back. And well, in theory, it might work, uh, and it still could. It's just Ritchie... I don't know if he can play the same style that Matthews and Marner want to. It's a little more high tempo. And I just, I'm not sure that just being a solid net front presence warrants enough justification to have him in this role. I, based on what I've seen through the first few rounds, for the first few games, I haven't liked what I've seen. And, And to that effect, too, he also has spent a decent chunk of time on the perimeter. Like, he hasn't even been net front all that much, to be honest with you. Like, he's tried to go to the net sometimes, and he hasn't been a factor. Um, You know, he's not getting his rebound opportunities. He's not screening play. I mean, he got the one. I remember it was at uh, Engvall's goal in the power play in game one. Yeah, he was screening the goaltender. That was good on the power play. But he hasn't really been able to do much of that um, at five-on-five with, well, Marner and Tavares, but now with Matthews and Tavares. Um, but we'll see again. That was just one game with Matthews and Marner. Perhaps they just need some time to pick up some chemistry. And uh, I believe I got a clip here actually on uh, Nick Ritchie and trying to build chemistry with Matthews and Marner. I think it's gotten uh, progressively better. Um, starting to feel pretty good. And uh, we've played some good hockey, I think. And I think just getting to know the, the guys I'm playing with and uh, – Get a little more ozone time and continue to work on that and uh, hopefully we keep doing that. I think the more you actually get to play uh, play games, it helps a lot in uh, getting a chance to play with some elite players that um, you know maybe a couple goals haven't fallen for, for them, but um, there's been lots of chances and, and, and they're going to go soon. Yeah, I mean, there's been chances. I don't know if lots of chances is the, is, is the term I would use or how much he's really uh, he's been able to contribute to... <laughs> A lot of those chances. Um, but, you know, there is a, a positive shot share when he's out on the ice. I think a majority of that is the fact that he's playing with guys like Matthews and Marner um, and and Tavares as well. And, and those guys just have immense shot share. Uh, I mean, they out... They've had two games where they've scored, where they've had 45 plus shots on goal. You're bound to have a positive shot share, regardless, just because of of the amount of possession and the amount of of offensive um, metrics or the offensive possessions that you've had and the amount of shots you've taken on goal. But uh, in terms of high danger chances, like n- not like he's being out out performed in high danger chances too, like 12 and 15. And I remember uh, there was a quote trying to think of what game it was. I believe it was after the Ottawa game um, when noise really started to, to circulate within Leafs nation about potentially ripping Nick Ritchie off of that line and in an attempt to, I guess, pump Richie's tires and to try and get the flies off him, um, Sheldon Keefe was out there saying, like, yeah, no, I've, I've liked his, his game. I thought he's played really well in the neutral zone. Uh, yeah, things will come for him. And I'm like, neutral zone? Who the hell ever pumps someone's tires about their play in the neutral zone? 
Like, if, if that's all you got, that means that he ain't doing squat in the offensive end. He ain't doing squat in the defensive end. And that's where a majority of the game is played. At least the most important parts of the game is played in the offensive or defensive zone. So if, if his best part is in the neutral zone, um, that's probably not a guy who I want alongside my top offensive weapons in Mitch Marner and uh, and <laughs> and more and uh, Austin Matthews or John Tavares for that matter. The, the weird part is if if you rip him out of that off that top line, where does he fit? Because I don't think I want to put him on in the top six. I would probably slide Kerfoot up and have Kerfoot have an opportunity. And then he probably slides all the way down to the fourth line. And then if Ilya Mikheyev comes back, I'm not sure the full roster, a full team, if he can <laughs> crack the lineup. And this is a problem for someone who's making, I think, what, $2.5 million going forward the rest of this season and next? This is, it's only four games, so I guess I am overreacting right now to Richie already being a bus signing. Um, and I will fully admit to that, but I, it's not looking good, right? And it's it's even more tough when you take a peek at this team's cap situation, and then guys like Nick Ritchie, you decided to give a multi-year deal to at multi-million dollar wage, and it's just also not working out here. Um, again, only four games, so I'm overreacting, and this is what. I'm overreacting to how badly he has played, but I think it is a proper reaction to suggest that he should be taken off of the top line. I think that is the way that I want to phrase how I'm feeling about this question, how I'm going about answering this question. Um, But he did skate with Matthews and Marner today in practice, so it's likely he will get another opportunity tomorrow night when they take on the Sharks here in Toronto uh, at Scotiabank Arena. But that will be their final game before heading out to, uh, to America. Get to go down south for the first time since uh, since 2020. Since March of 2020, it'll be the first time that they'll be down in the States playing a game um, against an American team. So uh, that will be interesting on, on Saturday. And there is a goalie controversy, not quite controversy, but a goalie conversation. One of the starts will go to back up Michael Hutchinson for one of those games. We'll take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, I have one more uh, overreaction Uh, that I want to discuss, or overreaction or proper reaction, that I want to discuss, and then I'll get into this whole goaltending debate uh, as well on the other side, and then chat a little bit about this Halloween party as well that the Maple Leafs had the other night. So we'll do all that when we return here on the Locked on Leafs podcast. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, price at Rock. Auto are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck and write locked on on their how'd you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Welcome back into Locked on Leafs. I'm Mike DiStefano, the host of this program, also the host of Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. Um... 
a couple other things that we got to get through here uh, before we close out the show. We've been going through some reactions from Leafs Nation over the course of the first week of the season. Uh, we already talked about Mitch Marner. The reaction has not been great on him. It has not been positive. And I discussed how I think that is a bit of an overreaction. We've also discussed Nick Ritchie and whether or not uh, it's it, it, we are overreacting or properly reacting to the suggestion of him being taken off the top line. I think that is a proper reaction, but it is an overreaction to suggest that he's completely inadequate to play for this team. Um, or at least it remains to be seen since it's only four games. I can't quite come up with that. Uh, that uh, I can't establish that opinion just yet. Because if I if I focus my opinions on Zach Bogosian after one game last year, you remember his opener? He looked awful, awful, uh, and then ended up having a pretty good season. And I mean, we're actually not missing him that much, to be honest with you. I'd be quite pleased. Here's something that I haven't talked about actually. Let's use let's, let, all right. Let's get back into some of the reactions. One of the reactions that I've I've seen out there is um, people have been really pleased with Rasmus Sandin and Travis Dermott, and like the third pairing, they've been they've been awesome. That's been a reaction they've had out there. They've been the most consistent pair on the Maple Leafs. These are the type of comments that I'm hearing when I'm reading about and talking about and talking with people about uh, the Maple Leafs blue line. And I think it's a proper reaction, legitimately. I have absolutely loved Rasmus Sandin's game all season long. I think he's getting better and better. Um, he played great in the game against the Rangers. I thought his best game of the season was Saturday night against the Ottawa Senators. He was all over the place. Um, he's finding he's finding the score sheet, uh, got a, an assist in that game. He's playing well in his own zone. He's not getting bullied around uh, out in front of the net as much as maybe you would assume he would, given his, his smaller stature. Um, and then his partner, like Travis Dermott, has actually played incredibly well, too, playing on his offside. And I, I had a conversation with uh, Frank Corrado on this podcast, actually. I think it was last summer. And he had played with Rasmus Sandin, um, and he was saying one of the skills, like his biggest skill set somewhat is his passing. Um, he mentioned that he's he's an elite passer. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, he's an elite passer. Um, the way that he puts the puck on your stick is is it's always in a great position for you to to make your next move, right? Like he, it's never trailing. It's always, you know, um, going forward, ready for the breakout, ready to, for the breakout pass, uh, putting it, you know, in as you're excelling up the ice or whatever, his passing is has been very crisp. Um, and I, I wonder if, and this is, you know, I, I might have to get, uh, you know, a player on to discuss this if they've played with people who have opposite, um, played on opposite sides of their handedness. I wonder if his crisp passing and the way that he's been able to get the puck to Dermot um, in in like a really good way. If that's helping Dermot's transition to playing his offside, uh, I I know that this it's not foreign to him. He's done it before in the past. He did a little bit with the Marlies. I know he did it in junior a little bit uh, last year. Had a handful of games playing the right side, but it, it's you know Dermot's never looked this good. I think is is what I'm getting at, and I wonder if it's because Rasmus Sandin is is putting him in good positions to not make mistakes, to not fumble the puck. Um, and, and I think that's something that's plagued Dermot a lot. I mean, you think back to the playoffs. Uh, was it game 
five, I want to say it was, game five in overtime, uh, the giveaway there to to cause them that game. I mean, that type of stuff really hasn't happened yet. Um, he, he's also done a good job of buying into playing a defensive style of game, uh, and he I think he knows that he's somewhat taking on that Zach Bogosian defensive ish role uh he's not like a clear-cut shutdown guy he's not jake muzzin uh but he is you know blocking shots getting in front of pucks um positioning uh his body well in front of his own goal um i i've really enjoyed the way that that pair has looked and i think that they've actually been the most consistent and they've had great games so far whereas on the flip side uh the other reaction is that Jake Muzzin has not looked good. Like, that second pairing has been atrocious. Um, that's a bit of an overreaction, I would say. Uh, they haven't played well, but I don't know if I'm I'm ready to say, like, they're, they're a tire fire and that this team uh, or this pairing is going to, you know, fall apart because of, I don't know, you know, it's it's been suggested out there, and I think I, it's it's crept into my mind, too, now that, that Jake Muzzin is, what, 32 years old, going to be 33 uh, pretty soon. Is, is his age catching up to him? Is He he does look a little bit slower out there. Um, you know, he's making, he's with the puck, he's made some weird decisions. He's given the puck up a couple of times, been on the ice for a goal in each of the four games. And I, I just... I, you know, it's crept into my mind. Is this just a slow start for him, or is this the start of a career decline? Um, and that somewhat remains to be seen. So it's a bit of an overreaction to say that he's done. This could easily just be a veteran getting off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, so we'll we'll use that as an underreaction or an overreaction uh, as well. Last one that I want to get into, though, uh, Michael Bunting has become a fan favorite. This is absolutely a proper reaction. He has been amazing. Like, this is exactly the type of guy that Toronto loves. Just a greasy rat. He's he's scoring a couple of goals. He gets under opponent's skin. He competes hard in all areas of the ice. Like, Michael Bunting is has legitimately been one of the best players on the Maple Leafs, especially offensively. Um, he's been really good alongside William Nylander and Kerfoot. Uh, now he's going to be able to play with a, you know, an upgrade at Kerfoot with John Tavares. I'm excited to see what he can do. And he may even get elevated up to the top line. Like he legitimately could end up being the first line, uh, left winger for this team. And, and that would just be an incredible opportunity, um, opportunity for a Toronto kid. Who's a bit of a late bloomer, but seems to just, work like just works relentlessly for everything he gets uh even that goal the other night that he did score um it was just going to the net go to the net and the the puck kind of just hit his stick when Morgan Riley threw it on goal and it ended up trickling in you know like that's just the type of those are the type of greasy goals that he scores like go and look at all the goals that he scored in his career I think he's got 13 goals in his career and they're all like that um, like legitimately 10 of his 13 goals are scored within five feet of the crease, 10 of 13 within five feet of the crease. Like he's got great hands around it. He's, he's, he's a, a absolute rebound hound. Uh, and yeah, he is easily quickly becoming a fan favorite here in Toronto. I, I saw he got the endorsement on Twitter from, from Darcy Tucker, another former pest, uh, one of the fan favorites of Toronto. One of my favorite Maple Leafs of all time. 
Um, today I was I was having a conversation with Shane Corson even, and he gave him the old uh, thumbs up. Apparently, Michael Bunting and Shane Corson's kid, uh, former Maple Leaf Shane Corson, that is, played together in um, in in Sault Ste. Marie. So, <laughs> so now there's a bit of a. a I guess a personal connection with Corson and Bunting, but you know, he likes the way that he plays. He likes him the way he goes to the net. Um, He's doing all the things right for a guy who is a little undersized and needs to work a little bit harder, might not be so gifted offensively, but it's kind of like Zach Hyman, right? Like he's, he's like a Zach Hyman light um, in an offensive perspective, not in it, not in a defensive perspective. We haven't seen him in that role as like a penalty killer yet, but um, so I, I do want to, I guess the overreaction would be saying that th- this is the new Zach Hyman just because Hyman brought more to the team from an all-around perspective. Um, but in terms of offense production, and I said this earlier on the podcast, I said this when they signed him. From an offensive perspective, Michael Bunting can fill in the amount of goals that Zach Hyman scored. I, th- I felt he could do that. 20 to 25 goals. And now if he's going to be, uh, you know, a-, a fixture in this top six, potentially get some power play time. And he's been on PP2. Maybe eventually ends up on the first power play as an upfront guy. Um, I-, I like what I've seen out of him. An absolutely proper reaction. He is certainly becoming a fan favorite here in Toronto. Um, and-, and if you listen to me, he was a plus 3,300 to win the Calder coming into the year. That looks pretty good. Looks pretty good so far. Three points through four games, um, and and a lot of guys are having some slow starts. The guys who are kind of front runners, Cole Caulfield, yet to register a point, even, uh, and he was kind of the favorite coming into the year. Uh, so Michael Bunting, maybe you threw down a couple of bucks on him over at BetOnline.ag, and hopefully it works out for you. Uh, as as it also would for me, because I threw down a couple of bucks on that one. Uh, okay, last thing I want to chat with you guys about. Uh, so the Maple Leafs had their Halloween party uh, last night, which makes sense because they were off, or sorry, two nights ago. They were off yesterday, off day, no practice, no nothing. And then uh, later in the day, we started to see some pictures start to leak out onto Twitter and Instagram. Um, so the night before, which would have been Tuesday night, it looks like the Maple Leafs held their Halloween party. And if you guys have never heard NHLers talk about Halloween parties, um, this is the party of the year within the NHL. It, it, it really, really is. Um, and it sounds like the Maple Leafs, their costume contest or their costume idea was, uh, sorry, food. Like the, the theme, the theme. That's what I'm looking for. The theme of the party for the costumes was food. Which is awesome, first and foremost. I think it's hilarious when people dress up as as food. Uh, I had a buddy, Greg, in university. Legitimately, every year, he wore this old banana. And it was just like, it smelled, it was grimy. But like, every year, without fail, this dude wore I'm pretty sure he like wore it in high school as well. Because this thing was dingy. Like, he wore it more than four times. So it must have been a high school thing. Or this guy just tosses on a banana suit randomly. Uh, shout out to you, Greg, um, for your banana suit. I'll never forget it. Uh, every time, I can't look at bananas the same way anymore. Um, and, and speaking of bananas, actually, the Muzzins dressed up as banana bread. So what happened was Jake Muzzin dressed up as like a slice of bread and his girlfriend, wife, not exactly sure what the marital status is there, but uh, the his his partner dressed up as a banana. 
But I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if you guys have seen these. I legitimately thought that they were like a sandwich with mustard. <laughs> I'm not kidding. When I saw it, I saw, okay, Jake Muzzin, he's a slice of bread. All right, so he must be a sandwich. And then I just saw, you know, the, the woman accompanying him was just a big, just like yellow, just dressed in all yellow. And I was like, oh, she must be mustard. And then the caption was banana bread. And I was like, oh, it's, I thought it was mustard in a sandwich. <laughs> I don't know why I found it really funny, but I did. Uh, Jack Campbell, though, I think stole the show. Him and his partner uh, showed up as crab linguine. So he showed up as a crab. And his partner showed up as, like, linguine, I guess, like noodle pasta. And he wore, like, a red lobster bib as well. Um, and it was awesome because I don't know if you guys remember, but earlier in, in the off season, Jack Campbell was talking about how much he loves red lobster. I'd love to take the boys out to red lobster one day for uh, for, for a meal. Um, I don't know if they've done that yet or what. But the fact that he kind of a, a nice little callback and he showed up as uh, a crab linguine for how Halloween, I thought was was awesome. Uh, Kerfoot Richie uh, went as KFC. Uh, one was chicken and, and Colonel Sanders. So someone showed up and looking like a piece of chicken. And then I think it was Nick Ritchie actually showed up looking like Colonel Sanders, which I thought was really, really funny too. So there's a couple of really good ones. You can kind of check them out on uh, all, all over Instagram and Twitter if you search them up. But, uh, yeah, the Leafs Halloween party, I'm sure it was a grand old time. Also, Mitch Marner's dog. Dressed up as a taco. Yes. Dogs in costumes. Not sure how I feel about it, but Mitch Marner apparently is a yes guy on it, and he dressed his dog up as a taco. Uh, all right, that's to do it for me here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On These Podcasts on all podcasting platforms. I receive daily Leafs content. You can follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. I'll be back for the episode tomorrow. We're going to tee up the game between the Leafs and the Sharks. Um, but until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.